Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me on the mic hosting an episode where I share a recent reflection or story from my own life as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Miri Buckland. Miri is the COO and co-founder of Landing, an online social commerce platform that allows users to tap into daily creativity, discover collective inspiration, deliver authentic expression, and nurture meaningful connections. As someone who discovered her identity as a creative later in life, Miri is on a mission to empower everyone to be and feel creative. Together with her team, she is developing Landing's platform to ignite creativity across its growing 200,000 plus global Landingverse community. Landing is backed by leading investors, including Cowboy Ventures, DeFi VC, Dream Machine Ventures, and Progression Fund. By trade, Miri is a marketer, community builder, and consumer tech operator. Prior to co-founding Landing, Miri held roles at Sky TV in London and in venture capital in San Francisco. Miri was a 2022 Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient and a graduate of the Stanford University School of Business. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Miri. Hey. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Your accent is so lovely. It's so refreshing. Thank you. I, I speak to a lot of Americans, but I love the British accent. Well, thank you. My mom does say that I'm losing it. She's like, you sound like you're somewhere across the Atlantic and you need to remember to go down at the end of your sentences. And I'm like, okay, good, good, good memory reminder for me. That's hilarious. Is she still living over there? So she's like used to it and her accent is still very strong, I imagine. Yeah. And I think actually when I speak to people from home or I speak to my English friends, I sound a lot more English. And then when I'm on Zoom, because I'm on Zoom all day for like work, I sound a lot more American. So I'm sort of a chameleon, I think right now. But yeah, trying to keep the British roots. I love it. You get the best of both worlds. Yeah. I absolutely love England, which we'll get into at some point. But I just think, I think British people are so lovely. And I randomly had an obsession with the royal family. So. Oh my God. Really? Yeah, I know. Things have kind of changed in recent years. Yeah. But when I was younger, I thought it was so cool. You know, princesses in real life. Yeah. So let's get started. We, we like to start every show with a bit of a light question before we get into the meat of it. You can take this question however direction you want. But what is something new that you've learned in this past week that you can share with our listeners? Okay, I love this question because I think it can, people can have such interesting and different answers to it. But one thing which is kind of related to landing that I learned recently was about the tomato girl aesthetic. I don't know if you've heard about this. I haven't. Okay. Yeah, I first saw it actually through landing boards, which are basically collages that people are making and titling it Tomato Girl Summer. And it's basically this new aesthetic that everyone's into that's all about kind of living your best life. And I think it's inspired by like Italian summers. And so it's all about, you know, stopping for a spritz at 3 p.m. if that's what you want to do, taking yourself on solo dates, wearing like silk dress, strappy sandals, traveling and 
being pretty bold, wearing like red and, you know, red lipstick, red on your nails, that kind of thing, just having fun with it. And I saw it in the landing feed first. Um, I saw all these cool like designs and then someone mentioned it on text. And then I saw a New York Post article about it. And then I saw it in Casey Lewis's newsletter that I love. And I was like, suddenly it's everywhere. And it was just amazing to me how quickly a trend like this just takes off um, and you start picking up on it all over the place. I love it. And how you guys can spot it first because you can see what people are like early inspiration days. Um, Two thoughts on that one. Casey Lewis is the best. Oh, my God. The best. The best. Do you know her or do you just subscribe to the newsletter? I've actually never met her in real life. But again, we've kind of like crossed paths on the Internet. Yeah. Okay, I'll introduce you guys after. She's the greatest. The greatest. Okay. The second thing I was going to say was my head. You know what's so funny when you said tomato girl summer? My thought, this is so random. I thought like you let your skin get red like a tomato and like (laughs) you're supposed to like get sunburned and like like not not care. Not that. Okay. We love SPF, skin care. Yeah, we support (laughs) no skin care. That's so cool. I love it. Okay. So before we get into it, like when you say landing pages, talk me through a little bit more of what that looks like. Is is it like a Pinterest board or what do those pages look like? Obviously you're referring to what you guys do at landing. I'm so curious. Like I'm trying to visualize all these different images like you were talking about. Totally. So we, we often describe it as a kind of Pinterest meets Canva meets Tumblr, which is a lot of things all thrown together. But essentially on landing on the website, you come in and you can create a collage of tons of different images. And those images can be brought from, you can upload them, you can drag and drop from your camera roll, or you can explore our community library, which is like 4 million different images that everybody else has uploaded. And you pull them onto this canvas and you can create a kind of collage of different images. And you can also link items. So if I pulled like a dress onto a board, you could add the link to it and then somebody else would be able to go and shop it. So go and buy the thing that you're designing around. And essentially you can add text, you can add stickers, you can add shapes and you create these different collages that can be anything from like a vision board or a tomato girl aesthetic board to a Harry Styles fandom board or a like travel planning board or kind of anything that you want to visually create around. But it's basically a a flexible combination of images, visual inspiration, but with those links added too, so it can be practical and helpful to people. I love it. And also from a business standpoint, you can get maybe some affiliate revenue from that, which isn't a bad thing. Yes, exactly. We don't do that yet, but yes, one day. Okay, one day. Because yeah, there's like, it's helpful for everyone. But also on a business side, we know that you're going to the website. We're thinking ahead. (laughs) Exactly. Awesome. Okay, well, let's get into it. I want to get back to the British of it all. So Mm. tell me about childhood. Tell me about like, where were you born and raised? Obviously, you mentioned you have a mom. Tell me about like, you know, parents, childhood, what that all looked like. And we'll go from there. Love it. Starting right at the beginning. Um, Beginning. We were very chronological here. That's how my brain works. I like, I need things in an order, you know? It makes a lot of sense, honestly. So yeah, I was born in the UK. I was born in London. I have mom and dad and two sisters, one older and one younger. So I'm a middle child. And I don't know if I identify with middle child syndrome, but I, (laughs) I hear other people talk about it. I don't think I know the syndromes enough. Like, I think I don't. Like, what's the middle? Like, the middle syndrome is maybe you never got the attention because you weren't the firstborn or the baby, maybe. Exactly. Exactly. Kind of like overlooked. I actually think middle children are really good at 
understanding kind of social dynamics and like Mm -hmm. peacekeeping because you're often the mediator between various different people both your siblings and so that's something I think from an early age has been a strength of being a middle child let's just say (laughs) I love it but yeah so I grew up in I was born in London we actually moved to the US when I was three for my parents work Um, and so we lived just outside of New York for four years and I think that always planted the seed to me that maybe one day I would live in New York again which is where I live now so that happened manifesting from age three let's say Uh, but then I moved back to the UK and I spent like all of my childhood there um, grew up just outside of London and I think like one of the big things I've been reflecting on that sometimes surprises me about where I've ended up in my career is that as a kid, I never identified as a creative or someone who was creative. And that was partly, I had two sisters who were beautifully like artistic and musical and did all of the like traditionally creative things at school and did them really well. And I was like good at maths and like science and like those kind of things. And I, I think from an early age, I just ascribe myself the label of like being much more analytical and not really being creative. And that stuck with me for a really long time through my childhood. And I think even my early 20s, Um, it's only really through landing and our community and my team that I've actually started to think of myself as a creative person who can have a a career that feels and looks creative, I guess, from the outside. So that's been a bit of a journey for me. Wow. I Everything you're saying really resonates. And I think they're going to have a lot of people that are like nodding in their cars while they're listening to this. I think it's so weird. Like creativity, like you said, we ascribe to being a good painter or a sculptor yeah. or a writer. But like entrepreneurship is like the definition of being creative. I think of creativity, and I don't know if you have a definition for this, but the way that I think about it is it's taking something that lives in your head and putting it into the world. Yeah. And it's like the creative the idea the creating something from nothing basically. And of course that can be, you know, bringing meaning to a musical performance that can be put creating a painting on a blank canvas, but like I think entrepreneurship is the ultimate how are you going to create something that doesn't exist? Do you have exactly. your own definition for creativity or how do you think about it? I love that definition. Like that really resonates with me. I think for me, I think about it as novelty. Like to me, create creativity mm. is coming up with novel novelty, yeah. whether it's like novel ideas or it's a new product or something physical. It's all about like combining elements or thoughts in new ways and putting something novel out into the world. And so that's really what switched for me was, you know, working on landing. I started to think about my day to day job as like an entrepreneur as being very creative because I was like constantly trying to think of new ideas and brainstorm things and put something new out into the world. And I was like, that actually is pretty creative. And maybe if I'm just like not the person who was thriving in art class at school, I can still be creative in different ways. I love it. I think that novelty is spot on. I think that's really it. Have you heard of this character strengths test called VIA? No. Have you ever taken it? So it's really cool. I'm a big, like, I love the personality tests and all those those, you know, strengths tests. This one test basically ranks, there's like 24 agreed upon strengths that people have. Leadership, sense of humor, curiosity, kindness, judgment, zest, like all these 24 strengths. And you take the test and it'll rank for you one through 24, what your strengths are. So like 
And the whole idea is you should ignore the bottom and just get really, really, really good at your top five and double Mm -hmm. down on your top five because you're already naturally good at it. And one of them is creativity. Interesting. And I remember I took the test and creativity was my number one. Wow. And I was extremely confused. No, like you though. (laughs) I was like, I'm good at math and I don't, I'm not an artist. So I feel like you would actually love taking that test and be interesting to see where creativity falls on there for you. Because I think that it's like a big wake up call for people. Sometimes you don't realize you're creative or you don't realize you're a leader or you don't realize you're funny or whatever the thing is. But sometimes you kind of need like a test to tell you, which is kind of crazy. But sometimes you do need this like, oh, no, the definition of this thing isn't what you think it is. That test sounds really interesting because sometimes I find other tests like they just ask you how you think about yourself and what you would describe to yourself. So whenever I took those kind of like, what career should I do tests at school? It was basically me writing down all my beliefs about who I am and what I'm good at onto a piece of paper and then them telling me what I should do rather than someone actually questioning those beliefs and pushing me on them. And so I think it's just really fascinating. I mean, I'd love to take that and see see where creativity falls for me now. And I would love to have done that, you know, 10 years ago and then be able to compare it as well. Oh, absolutely. And like having your team do it too. I yeah. think, yeah, like some tests are great, some tests are not, but I'm a big fan of like being as self-aware as possible. And I think sometimes these tests can help with that, just like see things differently. Okay, so you didn't realize you were as much of a creative. Obviously, you had this big awakening as you went through your career. But before all that, you got into Oxford, which was your college of choice. First of all, that's incredible. Even us in the States over here, we know how hard it is to get into Oxford. Um, <laughs> and I actually spent a summer there, randomly you did? enough. Yeah. Oh my gosh, when? So I'm obsessed. I was really young. I was, I think I was like 16 or 17. Yeah, I was in high school. Oh my goodness. That's so fun. What a cool Which place is so to go fun. when you're that age. Yeah, it was um there was like an international program. I was obsessed with filmmaking and there was mm. this incredible filmmaker who was doing like a summer long intensive, six days a week of, you know, training and so anyway. Oh cool. I had the most amazing experience and I loved Oxford. Like, tell me why did you go to Oxford? How was it? Which college did you stay in? All the things. I had the best time there. I really, really loved my time there. I was at Pembroke College. (gasps) Have you been? I was at Pembroke. No way. I was at Oriel and Pembroke. Those were the two. No way. Oh my gosh. That's such a small world. For context, it's like 35 colleges or something. Yeah. I just expected you would say when I didn't know and I'd be like, oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't go there. No, I literally, I was at Oriel on one side and Pembroke was on the other. Oh my God. How funny. Weird. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. I mean, I really wish I had, I mean, I appreciated it, appreciated it when I was there, but I really wish now that I just like, you know, spent more time looking up and looking around as I was there because you get used to it and it's like such a magical place. But yeah, so I was at Pembroke. I studied economics and management and I had always thought that it was like, you know, a big dream of mine to be able to go there or to go to Cambridge or somewhere like that. Um, I just think that the environment that you're in and the like academics there are so special they really taught me how to think and I think you know when you're growing up and you're at school a lot of things are very much spoon-fed to you or you're taught how to take a test or answer a question you're not or to remember things you're not really taught how to think really critically and I loved the idea of 
going to Oxford and having that kind of tutorial system, which they have where, you know, it's two students and a professor and you debate a topic or an essay that you've written. And it's much more trying to teach you and build up the ways, your ways of critical thinking than it is about like regurgitating tons of facts. So that was like super, super fun for me. And I was there, I just, I did three years there for my undergrad. And I, you know, I, I went in studying economics and management. And in the UK, you have to pick like one thing to study, basically your major. You don't get to do a ton of other things, which I think is a shame. And I much prefer the idea of the US system. But I did economics and management. And to me, the management side of it was kind of like a mini MBA. And it was really fun because it was all about organizational behavior and psychology of people and businesses and how they make decisions and marketing and all those kind of things. And I'd always thought that maybe I would work in business, but I had no idea what that meant or what happens really inside of business. And so it was a really cool way for me to kind of learn about it from much more of a theoretical perspective to try and understand what makes like companies tick. So I loved it. It's very interesting to start from a place of theory before mm. practice, especially in business. Like I think not a lot of people do. I think a lot of people like often will tinker or they'll work at a business and then they'll get their MBA before they actually like learn how to think and like what the principles are, especially in America. Like our business schools here, like our undergrad business, like I got my undergrad degree in business. They don't teach you really a lot of these things. And so it's cool that you had that opportunity to like really deep dive and like debate and understand leadership style and like do Harvard business case reviews, I'm sure. And yeah, I think that that's really special to do as early as you can so that you can look at everything in business through a lens of like at least some context. Exactly. Like I think for me, it was it was kind of two things. One, it really gave me the itch to go and practice like go and actually be in a business and I was learning all these things I was like this does feel kind of pointless if I have never had any experience in an actual company so like it really motivated me to want to like dive in afterwards but I think doing the economic side of things as well a lot of what I learned was about like how you approach problem solving and like how do you take like a really hard problem and break it down and gather tons of information and inputs and opinions and then synthesize it and come up with your own. And I think that like muscle more than anything is really what I took, which is so applicable in like everything we do today. It's all about like, how do you take so many different inputs and feedback and ideas and like narrow it down and synthesize it and come up with like a really strong opinion of your own. Um, Absolutely. No, it's very, very important, especially if you're going to be leading teams. Um, You need to have that down. So after you go to Oxford, you get a gig at Sky TV, which when I saw that, I was like, I wonder if that's the same sky that I remembered when I was living in England. And it's I think it's it's the same sky. It's like a gigantic media company. Um, Like, I feel like they're they run all the TVs, you know, like I don't I feel like I saw sky everywhere. So tell me, like, what about that gig was exciting for you? Did you like it? Did you not? Obviously, it's more of kind of an entertainment route. So walk me through that. Yeah, that was one of those kind of like pivotal, well, felt like a huge deal life decision moments um, when I was graduating from university. And because I studied economics, like basically everyone I knew was going to do consulting or banking. 
And I was like, eh, I don't know how I feel about either of those things. It's the obvious career path and like tons of people are going to do it. You get your job, you're all signed up. It's like very kind of a well-trodden path. And I was kind of in, in the midst of like applying for a lot of those things. And I actually saw an ad for a Sky TV job in a newspaper. Like I think my dad sent it to me. And he was like, what about this? This feels fun. And it was literally they were hiring one person into their strategy team in London. And I had grown up with Sky. Sky is like Europe's biggest pay TV provider, kind of like a Comcast, but they also make their own content. They sell Wi-Fi and internet phones as well. And so I was really familiar with the brand and I loved the product. And I, yeah, I've just been like a really loyal customer uh, my whole life. And so uh, when I saw this job, I was like, oh, this, this sounds fun. Like maybe I should check it out. And essentially what it was, was much more of a like internal kind of consulting role. So there was like 20 people in, in the strategy team and we worked with the exec at Sky on like the biggest gnarliest problems that they had so things like should we buy these movie rights should we buy these sports rights should how do we compete with Netflix all of those kind of things and for me as a 21 year old coming out of university that just felt so much more exciting than going on the kind of you know traditional well-trodden path of banking or consulting and so I think that was like the first point where I recognized in myself that I wanted to do things a little bit differently and I wanted to take the path that was a little bit divergent to what I was almost expected to do and so I started at Sky age 21 and I was the youngest in the team by like five or six years a lot of those people had had previous careers in tv or in consulting and so they taught me so much and at first it was like real drinking from the fire hose, totally overwhelmed. I have no idea what's going on, but I really also quite like that feeling of just learning and soaking everything up. And so, yeah, it was TV focused. It was media focused. But I think for me, it was an amazing place to figure out what like makes a business tick and how do all of the different people kind of like work together? Like, What does marketing do? What does product do? What does HR do? And how do they make decisions? So I really kind of got that bird's eye view, I think, of a big successful company. That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's and you were there for several years. So you really got to see it all. Yeah, I think it's it's so important to go work at that large, large company. It can be hard for people that are very entrepreneurial to go do that um, yeah. because it can feel a little bit like, ah, it's too big. But you do get that nice overview. Did you like the entertainment and media side of things? Like, you know, what you're doing now does have obviously this real media element. So did you find that that was a passion that was unlocked? Or do you feel like there it's pretty different types of media? So that wasn't really a realization. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty different type of media to what we're doing today with landing. But I think the thread through it was I really wanted to work on something that people used every day and that brought like joy and some form of like entertainment or creativity to their lives. So my favorite part would be like, I would come home from work and my friends would be sitting on the couch in my house watching a show that I'd like, you know, got the rights to or helped on that project. And so for me seeing and working on a product and a company that I knew people who used every day, I used every day and it left people feeling really good was so exciting to me. So I've always, I think, felt the need to have that tie back to like real life on the things that I'm working on. And I think that's also why some of the kind of advising or like client-based work wasn't as appealing to me because it felt just like a step too far removed from the action. 
And today at landing, I'm like, I love it when I get to know our users or I know what they're, you can see what they're making every day. And I know that like landing is a small part of like bringing that joy and fun to their everyday life. And I can have it in my hands too. I love it. Yeah. I think um, it's such a simple way to look at it, but it's so important that like what you're doing is world positive, you know, (laughs) it's like bringing a sense of joy to people's lives. So, okay. So you were at Sky TV for a while and then you went to Stanford Business School, which is super exciting over in California and shortly thereafter started landing. So walk me through like why business school and when landing came about um, your current company during that time. Yes. Okay. So it's a little bit of a long story, but while I was at Sky, I was learning so much and I loved it there and like all the things I've kind of said already, but I felt a little bit like I was working at the big established company. And this was the time when like Netflix and Amazon and all and Hulu, all these competitors were coming up. And I kept getting this itch to be like, oh, I kind of want to be at the like challenger. I want to be at the company that's like shaking things up rather than the one that's kind of, you know, been there for ages as maybe more on defensive mode. So that was the real impetus for me. And I'd always been curious about startups and, you know, going all the way to the other end of the spectrum. And so when I decided that I wanted to explore startup world, Silicon Valley felt like a great place to do it. And going to business school also felt like a great way for me to kind of figure out what was next. Like, I think I knew that Sky wasn't going to be my forever home and the place that I would stay for my whole career, but I didn't really know what was next. And I wanted to have a bit of time to figure that out and immerse myself in a totally different kind of world. So I ended up going to business school in 2017. And that was where I met Ellie, who's my co-founder. And Ellie is like beautifully creative. She's the person, she took undergrad, um, she took economics and studio art. So she's got this really artistic side of her, traditionally artistic. And, you know, she was the person who had like an interior design side hobby and her dorm room was the coolest of anyone's. Everyone was asking for her advice. And actually we were on a road trip driving from Northern California to Southern California. I had my first In-N-Out burger. And we were talking all about creativity and what that means and why or how she feels creative and why I didn't. And we started talking about why it's so hard for people our age to feel empowered in their creativity and in particular in creating physical spaces that they really love. So I had moved around a ton. Ellie had been the design friend that everyone would ask for advice on furnishing their space And we were like, there has to be a better way to do this where people feel like they can put their own personal stamp on the apartment that they live in and get it a little bit feeling a little bit more like the Pinterest boards that they collect rather than kind of a cookie cutter or something that, you know, they're just like not happy in. And so we started exploring and pulling this thread of like, how could we help people feel empowered in designing physical spaces? And so the very beginning of our time exploring landing was creativity in the sense of interior design. And we started by literally helping 20 different people design and furnish their apartments. That literally meant Ellie and I driving U-Hauls around San Francisco, delivering people furniture. (laughs) Yeah, we we built like, I think it was 200 pieces of furniture we counted um, during that summer once we graduated from business school. And we were just fascinated by going through this process with people and understanding the emotional highs and lows, where they needed help, where they got stuck, um, what they enjoyed. And 
in going through that process, we were designing people's apartments on Google Slides. We were like making these collages for them of like rugs and sofas and all that kind of thing. And we saw them really playing with it. Like they would swap things in and out. They would ask for different versions and they were having fun just making these these collages of their space before they made any purchase decisions. And so after that summer, we decided to build the website, um, the original software, which was a mood boarding platform and marketplace for interior design. So you could create these collages of all the things that you wanted to buy from 20 or so up and coming furniture and decor brands that we partnered with, and then you could buy them all on landing. And so that was like the very, very original version of it. And then we, we really noticed people were designing just for fun. They weren't necessarily designing because they had an apartment to furnish tomorrow. They were designing just because they wanted to make a dream home or like, you know, a second home that they don't actually have. And they were just having a lot of fun with it. And we also allow people to upload an image of anything they already had. And honestly, we thought that they would upload a couch they already had or a table they would already have. And what they did was they actually uploaded fashion and books and all sorts of other images and started making these boards for fun around things other than interior design. And so our users really made landing into what it is today by just the way that they used it. But that's that's the whistle stop tour journey of like how we went from talking about creativity to having a platform around mood boarding and visuals. I love that. Thank you for walking me through it. I think, um, I mean, you guys preach this more than anyone, but like your community will tell you what they want, right? And like the yeah. best entrepreneurs will listen and the worst ones will not. And I think yeah. that's really the secret is like if you're seeing that other things are happening, you have to pay attention to that. Now, whether or not you you continue to build a product for everyone or a small group, that's on up to you. But I think it's really special that you that you did that and you listened. And I know you you recently created this collective of other mm. brands that care a lot about making the online world a safer, healthier, better place. Tell me a little bit more about that piece because something I care a lot about is not just building community amongst your users, but like what does community look like across a space? And how can brands actually come together and like, whether it's setting new standards, whether it's like being clear on values, whether it's just partnering on interesting things, like what does community look like across a sector? So I'm so curious, like what the impetus was for that? Because from my understanding, that really what came from your your organization, right? Yeah. So um, it was actually dreamt up by me and Emma Bates, who I think you've already had on this podcast. We've already had her on. Yeah. If you guys haven't listened to that episode, go go back and listen. She's awesome. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I totally, what you were saying about like, how can you build a community across like almost the mission and purpose of what you're trying to do really resonates. And I think for me, I, you know, I'm living in New York. I kept meeting all of these other founders who were building not similarly, not similar products to landing, but with a similar mission in mind of like, how do we make your time spent online, make you feel better and add value to your life rather than feeling like it detracts or it's performative or it really drains you and you feel like you're just constantly doom scrolling. And so I was meeting founders who like Emma does this in a very different way to landing with social search. Other people do it, you know, trying to build a new version of LinkedIn or trying to build a new version of collecting articles. And so there are a lot of different ways that people are approaching that mission and that problem, but with very shared values of like wanting to create places online that just make us feel good. 
And so we decided that we should pull everyone together because a lot of us are dealing with the same problems and challenges of early stage startups. And if we want to have a hope of kind of changing the guard in socials and competing with the massive players that exist today, then we might as well pull all our might together and share what we're doing. And so it's been amazing. We, we launched the movement in February, which was 15 social founders of tons of different companies all over the world. And we put up a website, super simple. And we said, you know, if anyone else wants to take the pledge, then please join us. Like this is a kind of more the merrier approach. And we've had about 60 other people, other founders pledge to join the movement. And we have a Slack group and we're thinking about doing a kind of IRL summit later this year. Um, but it's been amazing just to be able to see how people are approaching the problem, share learnings, connect people on our teams and just support each other. And I think I was kind of missing that supportive network before we, we came together. Well, that's great to hear. I think the fact that you guys started this is really special and amazing, but I also think there's a really an opportunity for venture funds to do that too, to yeah. really aggregate like a portfolio of folks who have those like shared values that are tackling similar spaces and want resources, want collaboration, want to meet in person. Like I think, I think there's this really this wave of, you know, a lot of businesses now can be started by smaller teams because of mm -hmm. no code tools and AI and all that. And we've got these big behemoths that run a lot of sectors. And so it can get really hard and lonely to like go up against them. And I think the more that we can work together and like encourage that, the better. And I'm just really excited that you guys were the impetus for that. But I think more people yeah. should do that. You know, like it's not even, it shouldn't just be you guys in social. It should really be like, there's a lot of things we need to change. And whether it's like a bunch of founders or it's venture funds trying to collect a bunch of founders, like I think there's opportunity for that too across other sectors. I totally agree. And I, I think, I mean, I don't know if this resonates for you, but like being a founder and like starting something new and constantly challenging the status quo is like quite a lonely job sometimes. And I think that Very. <laughs> it's not like just for me, it's like for my team too. And I think that we kind of have to create the communities that we crave and that we want. And I felt like oh, we're pretty good at community building with our users and our creators on landing. And we spend a lot of time with them. And I was like, what other communities do I want or need? And I think I, I found that the need for a founder community or across the social spectrum was something that resonated with just a lot more people than I, than I actually thought it would. I love it. I love it. I think it's really strong. And when you're a community builder in one way, you're a community builder in multiple ways, which is really special. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I'm more communities. But it's great. No, I think it's really important. And I also know that you guys um, at Landing seem to have a real Gen Z influence. Mm. You've got a lot of younger users on your platform. Can you tell me a little bit more about like, what are you seeing that that kind of like, you know, Gen Z, maybe young millennial is excited about? We talked about Tomato Girl Summer, but are there other yeah. like trends that you guys are seeing that you're really excited about that this younger generation is expanding and exploring on your on your platform? Yeah, I think... Um the most exciting, this is a bit higher level, but like the most exciting thing for me, I think, is their energy and um, willingness to kind of express all parts of who they are. And I think there's like recognition that every person contains multitudes and can be a fan of like Tomato Girl Summer and 
like whimsy goth fashion and something else completely different and you don't just have to fit into one box or one aesthetic or one um set of like ideas and so i think what's really exciting to me is that i see our users create across so many different niches and verticals and connect across them too and it feels like they found a place in landing where they can be everything that makes them them and where they can dive into like the weirdest nerdiest nichest parts of themselves so i really love that part and i really love that we see people creating around their aspirations and their ideas and just expressing themselves rather than around what they look like and i think i see that as a trend that's happening more and more is just people wanting to have spaces online where they don't have to be like themselves they don't have to be their physical selves they don't have to put their face to camera they can be whoever they want to be and they can express themselves like almost more fully and with more freedom than they can on other channels where you're trying to perform to an algorithm or to a set of people you already know or to fit into a certain box that you might have even created for yourself and so um yeah, I think I think this trend towards full expression of all parts of who you are and being able to connect with other people around that online is just like a really interesting and hopeful one for me too. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, to be the truest and fullest expression of yourself is what we all want. The happiest, yeah. truest version. And I think, you know, it is really hard when you do have an algorithm to please, right? And <laughs> and you're trying to like monetize your expression like i think that's one thing that i've been realizing a lot too is being creative it's such a luxury to be able to just be creative to be creative some people have to be creative to make money yeah and that is very very hard and so to have a place where people can just go to just express and there isn't this like pressure to make money necessarily i think is really powerful yeah and i think it's like almost harkening back to the early days of original social media where like you're actually going there to connect you're connect going there to connect and like hang out with a community versus what those platforms have obviously become with time as they've chased these monetization goals which is like al algorithms rule and i think younger generations especially are just much more cynical towards those platforms and that way of connecting online and they're a little bit more disillusioned with how that like that experience and how it makes them feel so i i think that's really like powerful and i hope that that desire and that like awareness of how social existing social platforms work will actually drive a lot of change absolutely are there other virtual communities where you feel like you're able to be your fullest self like do you love TikTok? I mean, we talked mm. about the algorithm. Maybe you just feel like you love what's on there. Are there other places or other communities where you feel like, oh, I really like what they're doing? Maybe it's an IRL manifestation of something that, you know, you love, like a book club or something. But are there other communities that you feel like do it right? Yeah, I think IRL ones are also are super interesting. I am in like three book clubs, so I definitely... <laughs> Yes, I know. It's a lot. We actually have one at Landing. We have a team book club and we read things together, which are mostly like relevant to what we're working on. But that one's really fun. And then I have one that I'm still a member of in London and, and one in New York. So it's a it's a lot. I can't keep up all the time, I have to say. I have to pick my book. Yeah, book club for sure. 
I think what Emma's building at DM is a great example of that, where I think that the community that she's building is specifically built around asking the taboo questions or the things that you might not be comfortable building online, um, saying online, sorry, and asking those questions or giving examples and answers. And so I see that as like real authenticity and kind of like pushing the barriers of what that means. And I think that's a really special community to be building too. Yeah, I agree. I know what she's doing over there is really exciting. And it's so nice that you both have each other in New York. Yeah, fun. fun. <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm actually moving to New York. Oh my gosh. Like two yeah. months or month. Yeah, I'll have to hang out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, on the book club note, any good books that you recommend that you've read recently? Is there anything that's like you're really excited about? Yeah. I, I saw this book yesterday. Um, I don't know if you've read it. Amber Atherton's Rise of Virtual Communities. Have you read that one? I haven't read that yet, but I really want to. Same. I think I'm going to have her on the podcast, or at least, you know, we'll see. But any good ones that you've read, whether they're related to this conversation or not, I'm always looking for great books. Oh, yeah. Um, Okay. So, well, I think a lot of people read it recently, but I recently read Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow. I knew you were going to say that. That's amazing. Have you read it? I haven't. I'm on the wait list at the library. I'm a big library girl. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, it's great. I mean, like I didn't know anything really about the gaming world and it's not really about gaming, but it's just like such a fascinating, um, world to learn about through this incredible story. The other one that we read recently in our landing book club was everything I need, I get from you, which is about how fangirls built the internet. And it's by Caitlin Tiffany. And it's all about like the original fangirls, like One Direction and a lot of other things and how they built the internet through their use of Twitter and Tumblr and like that being the start of kind of community online. So highly recommend. Oh, were you a One Direction fangirl or no? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. But what's so crazy to me is how people my age were and so are teens now. And the band doesn't even really exist anymore. So it's... Uh, yeah, yeah, that was a lot of staying power. The longevity of like Harry Styles. I think he's really the reason. Yeah, it's it's carrying them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I ask because it's just like such a typical British thing, like, you know, to love One Direction. I don't know. Yeah. Amazing. Well, okay. Well, we have one final question. We ask all our guests this. You've obviously shared lots of gems throughout this chat, um, different pieces of advice. But if there is one piece of advice that you would give to every 20-something, what, what's that one piece of advice you'd give them? So this was actually advice that I was given when I was in my early 20s. And it was surround yourself with people you admire and be a sponge. And I think for me, that's always been how I've tried to operate is like, am I working with people who I look up to? Am I learning from the people I spend my time with, like outside of work in just like daily life? And do I really admire them? Because I think you become this like, mix of all the people who you spend your time with and so trying to be really intentional about that has always been a priority for me and that doesn't mean you have to do what they do you can do things very differently but at least you can observe and take it all in I think people absolutely underestimate the influence that the five closest people have to them Um, and I think we we all have know those friends where they've like really maybe things have gone a little downhill or things have gone really uphill based on their friends. And exactly, yeah. um, it takes a while. It's not like overnight. It takes like a year or two, but you really can start to see those transformations. Miri, can you tell everyone where they can like follow you on social, where they can learn more about landing? I think a yes. lot of people are going to want to go create boards after this and play around. Can oh you give God. everyone info on all that? 
Yes. Well, you can go to www.landing.space to download the app and also create boards on the website. The app is more where you can kind of connect with other people and we're launching lots of fun new creation tools on the app too. So check that out on Instagram and I think the same on TikTok and Twitter where landing.space. I'm Mary Buckland on Twitter and Instagram. So you can connect with me there. Amazing. Well, thanks for being here, Mary. This was so fun. So fun. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. I love it. And likewise, I'm glad we're finally able to put like face to the name. Exactly. In the same circle through it. Awesome. A long time coming. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts.